0: Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. So this morning I want to continue on this early part, the introduction to the message, which has come to be known as the Beatitudes, and we're going to look at the seventh Beatitude. I don't know if I'm, there we go. The seventh Beatitude. Did I do something wrong? There there we go, okay. And that comes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Here's what it says. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Only a preacher could stretch those few words into 30 minutes, but we're going we're to give it a go, okay? I, I remember when I was in college, I heard the story, and I couldn't find the exact reference, so I just made up a paraphrase, but it went something like this. Uh, two men met each other at a social event, a cocktail party, And they struck up a conversation. And one said to the other, So, are you religious or irreligious? Religious. Hey, me too. Are you Christian or some other religion? I'm Christian. Hey, me too. You Catholic or Protestant? I'm Protestant. Hey, me too. Evangelical or mainline? Evangelical. Oh, me too. Denominational or independent? We're independent. Hey, hey. me too. You complementarian or egalitarian? Egalitarian. Hey, hey. me too. Are you premillennial or amillennial? I'm premillennial. High five. Me too. Are you infralapsarian or sublapsarian? I'm sublapsarian. (sighs) And we were so close to being brothers. We almost had it, didn't we? That's funny because it's kind of sad. It seems as if conflict is hardwired into the human spirit. In fact, some people say when things are going too well, when they're getting along too well with others, they're waiting for the other shoe to drop. They get nervous. It's like, things are going way too well for me. And that's our way of saying we understand that in the world we live in, Conflict is a given. I would even go as far as to say, I think we human beings are actually more comfortable in conflict than without it. We get nervous when it's absent. We wait for it to come. And I really believe, I really believe this, that sometimes we even prefer it. It's as if we are waiting and ready to find the things that divide us even more than rejoice over the things that unite us. I mean, just think about how easy it is to divide a room over the most inconsequential, superficial consumer preferences. All I have to say is this, right? I mean, Mac versus Windows. Who's neutral about that? Unless you're completely at-technical, you are completely a technical you can not be neutral about this. And there's a righteous side and an unrighteous side to that equation. You just decide what that is. I'm not telling you. What about Canon versus Nikon? Do you realize there's literally no difference? Yeah, I I know, Don. I know there's a big difference. But there really is not that big of a difference. And yet, you would find people livid over that statement. What about this? I mean, if you're a truck guy, people who like Ford trucks and people who like Chevy trucks cannot be friends, man. It's just that big a deal. And of course, the universal symbol of disdain for someone else's choice is Calvin urinating on whatever thing you don't like. It's inconsequential. It's nothing. And yet, you can divide a room simply on the basis of things like that. Do you like iPhone or do you like Android? And we're just ready to say, you're stupid. You're crazy. Why would you do that? And we almost rejoice when we say, see, that's why you're different. And I'm going to go on this side of the room with people who drive Chevy trucks, because you Ford guys are weak sauce. If you leave this built-in propensity towards conflict unchecked, it doesn't take much for it to escalate into worse and worse forms of conflict. In fact, I think what we see in the world today is that conflict doesn't remain in the area of disagreement and opinion and argument, it very often gets physical. I'm sure our brother Don would attest to this. We live near one of the most violent cities in the country. Last year, there were 4368 shooting victims just in the city of Chicago. That's nearly 12 every single day on average. There were 787 homicides in the city just last year. This year is pretty young. We're only March 19th, and already we have 631 shooting victims in Chicago. I want you to think about that. That's somebody shooting a gun and somebody else getting hit by that bullet just in our city and already by March 19th, 631 people have been shot. I just lost my, there we go, what, what, what just happened? I just lost my, uh, couple, And there it is. And 124 homicides already this year. Does that turn your stomach a little bit? We need to be praying for Brother Don on a regular basis. I, sometimes he sends me screenshots of his dispatch screen on in his cruiser, and I don't know how you keep your sanity. I don't know how you do it by the grace of God only. Um, that's the world we live in. That's a reality. Less than an hour drive from where we are. This is happening to real people's lives. You blow that out to a national scale, and here's a staggering figure. Someone reported that nearly 15,000 wars and armed conflicts have occurred since the days of Jesus. There has been war somewhere on the earth nearly every single day of the entire 20th century, and these you get to a point where numbers numb you. But I want you to think about this: by the most conservative estimates. Just World War I and World War II alone led to the deaths, the violent deaths, of at least 80 million people. I mean, that's a quarter of the population of the entire United States, died in the span of one generation violently in times of war. And in the midst of this kind of reality, this is the world we've made. You can say whatever you want about your optimism and human goodness. The truth is the world we make is a very conflict-filled, violent world. And in the midst of that world, Jesus boldly calls his followers to this particular thing. He said, if you live in this violent and conflict-filled world as a peacemaker... You will be blessed. I will give you my loving and joyful approval if you will live in this world as a maker of peace. So, I want to establish before we unpack that a little bit who is this not necessarily for? I mean, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Who's not included in this full blessing? He's not saying it's for the peaceful, the person who's just experiencing peace. That's not a bad thing. But he's not saying I give this blessing, this promise to those who have peace. He's also not saying it's for the peacenik, the person who yearns for peace, loves peace, pickets for peace, clamors for peace. He's also saying it's not for the peaceable, which is a word that says, I'm not getting involved. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to I'm not going to get involved in this fight. It's not my fight. The human equivalent of Switzerland. You know, people who said I'm going to remain neutral on this. That's y'all's problem. Y'all's drama. See you later. Life's too short. And what he's saying is this full blessing of God for the peacemaker doesn't necessarily extend out to people who are simply experiencing peace all by themselves. It also doesn't extend to people who say, oh, God, if only you would make the world more peaceful. People wishing for it don't receive this full blessing. And people who say the way to have peace is just not to get involved, that is also not who this blessing is for. Now, there can be wisdom and virtue in all three of those things. But if you want to fully receive what Jesus is saying here, what he's saying, if you're careful to hear him, listen look at what it says. <clears throat> Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Meaning these are the people who step into a situation of conflict and they actually do get involved. They go there. They dive in. And they decide peace won't just arise out of this situation. Someone has to work for God's sake to make peace. You guys know that peace is not the natural course of things in human society. Would you agree with that? When two people are fighting, when they disdain one another, when they've betrayed each other, you don't just leave it alone and peace erupts spontaneously. Sometimes numbness can take over. Sometimes they can stop fighting. But real peace like real resolution, not separate bedrooms, but real love. That doesn't just happen in this world. It never just happens in this world. And so what Jesus is saying is that the full approval, the full blessing of God is given, it's promised to those who live in a world so addicted to conflict, so addicted to division. And we labor all our lives to represent him making peace where we don't find it. Conflict exists because Satan opposes peace. And conflict exists because people are sinful. And the truth is we often prefer conflict over peace. So when you get involved in a situation of conflict you're going to arouse the opposition of both Satan and the people involved in the conflict. Would you agree that that's been your experience? That's why most people don't want to get involved. I think of all the nations, Switzerland might be the smartest. They're like, dude, we just don't want to fight anybody. You kill each other. We're just going to be over here making chocolate. Is that what they do? Pat lives in Switzerland. You guys just make watches and chocolate and hold other people's money. When you get involved, you're not going to be left alone. Because the minute you poke your fingers into it, the moment you stick your neck out and get involved, you're going to arouse the opposition of some very, very upset people and a very upset enemy. I think for this reason, peacemaking is usually not very peaceful work. It's ironic. But that's the truth. I find myself as a pastor, and the other pastors in the room will testify to this, we find ourselves called into conflict very often. I I wasn't prepared for this in seminary. I really thought going to seminary, my job would be to stand at a music stand and just talk about the goodness of the Bible, that I would just study in a room all week and then stand up here and tell people about what I studied. In other words, I deliver a book report every week for the rest of my life. No one told me that I would be called in to people's homes as the police were leaving. No one told me that I'd have to watch two people who fell in love fall out of love. No one told me that I would be part of so many skin-crawling, heart-wrenching, awkward, uncomfortable situations of conflict. And I can tell you that, as you know, as a pastor, I don't usually go. I, I choose not to get involved. I, I don't have that luxury. You call me, I'm coming. I mean, that's just how it works. But I got to tell you, it has not been a peaceful journey for me. Part of the reason that I go through long seasons where I only sleep three hours a night, it's not about my life. <laughs> my life is actually pretty peaceful. It's y'all's lives. <clears throat> That's what's robbing the sleep, because when you get involved, you actually get involved. You don't just get involved, you feel what they feel. The weight pressing on their hearts now shares the weight on your heart. And it's really hard to just let it go. And the emotions that are exploding over the the rim of the cup spill into your cup too. You just can't help it. So peacemakers, knowing the cost and the discomfort, knowing it's not really their problem, and yet it is, they go there and they get involved. And when they do that, they very much mirror the heart of God. Because that's exactly what God does. I don't believe that God walks away from conflict and says, that is not my problem. I think that's what we want to do, but that's not what God ever does. So that when we join him in this work, we cause his heart to delight because that's exactly what he would want us to do in that situation. Peacemakers get involved, and what they try so hard to do is bring about peace where people involved only want to walk further apart. I I know that's what they say they want, but I know they don't really want it because they're calling. They make the call. They send the email. Can you come help us? And then when you get there, you're like, it seems like all they want to do is argue with you, refute your claims, disagree with you. You're like, why'd you call me if all you want to do is walk away from each other? But I know that's not what they really want. What they really want is to find a bridge to cross, a way back home, a path to reconciliation, but their emotions are so raw, they don't know how to get there. So peacemakers step in, and whereas it's so easy to get caught up in the the emotions of the situation, they look for bridges to cross. They look for ways to create linkage back to one another. Common ground for both parties to stand on. Have you ever been involved in that kind of role, mediating between two people in conflict? Hasn't everybody pretty much... Whether you wanted to or not, you're drug into it. You're, everybody's been there, and it's so easy to lose your way. But for those who stand their ground and work for peace, the full blessing of God is promised to you. Now, peacemakers never do the peacemaking at the expense of the truth. Let's not pretend that the things that cause conflict in the first place are not important. The differences, the betrayals, those are very real, and they're very important. I don't think it's peacemaking just to come in and go, ah, whatever. Just let bygones be bygones. Can't we all just get along? That's not helpful at all. It offends both parties involved in the conflict. The things that separate people are real, and they are important. You might say, what? You're still stuck in that? That was like 15 years ago. Just move on. That's not helpful because the truth of the matter is conflicts don't arise out of nothing. They arise out of real and important historical facts. A peacemaker doesn't make the differences go away, but a peacemaker says, although there is this thing that really does stand between you or between us, there still is a way for us to keep moving forward together. It's not impossible We won't make the trouble go away. But there still is a way forward for two people who want to find common ground. I've quoted him before, but here's what Scott McKnight had to say about it. The peacemaker, as the person whom Jesus blesses, seeks to reconcile not by pretending there are no differences or by suppressing differences, but by creating love of the other that transcends differences or that permits the people to join hands in spite of differences. You know, I think we sometimes get so hung up on the fact that, yeah, but you did that! Nothing will change it! You said it! You did it! And it's as if Unless we can make that not have happened, there's no way forward. People offend each other every day. People hurt each other every day. Those things are real. They really did happen. But if you think there's no way forward, you're wrong. It's a complete denial of the real power of God when you say, yeah, but that really did happen. They really did do that. Yes, of course. And what are we to say? You are paralyzed for life as a result. There is no hope. There's no future. Of course not. That did happen. And yet, nonetheless, in spite of, there still is room to join hands. That's what peacemakers understand because that's what God understood. Before Jesus took the cross, there was no leg for us to stand on in approaching God. What could you possibly say to God? I didn't do all that. He would look at you and say, you did it all. Everything that stands between you and me, you did those things. You said those things. You believed those things. You felt those things. They are all a matter of historical record. You can't go back in time and undo any of it. And yet God says, I have a plan. There is, in fact, a way forward without erasing the reality of your offense against me. For all of eternity, God will, he will know what you did, what I did. But at the cross, he chose to move forward. He chose to say that in spite of the reality forever that you said and did those things, Jesus provided a way for us nonetheless to have a relationship There are so many people who have been robbed of years of their life because they didn't believe that's true. They thought that the reality of this offense stands forever and is so powerful, nothing can overcome that grievance. Nothing can reunite us. Nothing short of time travel anyway. And even if we could travel in time, chances are we'd hurt each other again eventually, wouldn't we? Are you saying that if we went back in time and undid that fight, undid that grievance, we would never be bad to each other another day in our lives? I don't know what you're smoking, but it's not legal in this state yet. Faith is at least believing that even though we can't change what happened, we can still join hands and move forward. I think peacemakers also work to promote civility and gentleness. You guys know that when people are in conflict, they're not at their best selves. <clears throat> I, I love when I'm doing like relationship counseling, not the, not the premarital counseling kind where everyone's optimistic and happy and we laugh a lot, but the sad kind where it's like, oh, and when we're in it, here's what happens a lot. People talk about a fight they had, but they make it sound like they're British people in Downton Abbey. And then I said to her, darling, certainly you can't really believe that, can you? And I said to him, my good sir, come on, that's not how you really fought at home. Stop acting like that's the language you were using. If I could put a surveillance camera in your house, we would see just how raw it gets. How out of control, how frightening, how embarrassed you'd be if people were eavesdropping on your house. See, we, we, in, av- in the aftermath, we remember it so differently. I was so civilized. I was just like, honey, you know, I'm usually so gracious, but you've pushed my buttons a little bit. And it's never quite like that, is it? It's really raw. It's often very angry, emotionally and verbally violent. We let it rip. And when you get involved in a situation of conflict, because we're never truly neutral, we always have opinions, our emotions are susceptible to the infectious rage of others, you know, right, that when you get involved in the conflict of other people's lives, it's very easy to get caught up in the emotions of it all. To hear and to feel, oh my goodness, I'm tempted to take sides and get involved and throw stones at the other side, It's so tempting to say, that's outrageous. They did what? Let's kill them together. (laughs) It's very hard to stay neutral when you get involved in the conflicts of others. But I really believe that what God calls us to as peacemakers, and this is a bit of a, a graphic analogy, but I think we're called to be like holy ointments for relational rashes. Yeah, I did. I called... U. Preparation H. Think H for holy. But what it says on that package is, it says prompt soothing relief from painful burning, (laughs) itching, and discomfort. I think what God wants from us is to step into situations where everything is just so tense. And I think this is something that police officers are trained that You step into people's behavior at their worst. And the first thing is to try to defuse the situation. Don't make it worse. Don't join the gunfight right away. Try to calm everyone down because when people are emotionally upset, they lose their objectivity. The worst of their character comes out. They don't care which bridges they burn or who they hurt. Right now, I've just have... It's like when you want to vomit, Right? How many people, when they're really, truly sick, are like, i got to vomit, but it would be inappropriate in this social setting. You don't, there's that kind of vomiting where you're sort of nauseated, and there's a kind where it's coming out. I don't care where I am. I remember driving to this conference in New York that we used to go to every year, and one of the sisters at church, I just picked her up in my new car, and the first thing she did, out of the "Oh, uh-oh, oh and I'm like, what, what? She goes, I think I'm going to throw up, and I tried to pull over, but she just couldn't, and she just puked all over the new car. And I was her pastor, and we were going to a Christian conference, so I'm like, it's just a thing, you know. It's just, what's a car? It's just an object. But I realized, and I was kind of a little miffed, but what can you do? A person is sick. When something needs to come out, it's coming out. At that point, you're not thinking who else is going to be grossed out by it, hurt by it, offended by it. It just needs to come out of me. If it spews all over you, so be it. That's life. But it's going to come out of me. I don't care what the collateral damage is. And that's what happens to people when they're enraged. Is this thing in me, this toxin, this poison, has to come out. You just better stand clear if you don't want to get hit because it's coming. Proverbs 15.1, it says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Do you hear that? So I'm going to ask you a question. When you step into a situation where two people are at each other's throat, where there's real outrage, real offense, real anger, what do you find is your general M.O.? How do you usually function in that situation? Are you more like water poured on the fire, or are you more like a can of gasoline? What do you find is your usual effect in an argument? Are you one of those standing on the signs going, kick that fool, kick him? Or are you one of those people going, hey, 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 yo, yo, whoa, 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 calm down. Come over here. Which are you? Be honest. Just be really honest. What's your knee-jerk reaction when you walk into an argument and you actually have an opinion on that argument? I'm not talking about you're not a photographer and two idiots are arguing Canon versus Nikon. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an issue you actually have strong beliefs in, and you walk in the midst of it, and here's two people going at it. What do you find is your usual agenda, your instinct, your natural expression? Do you find that you have a soothing effect to help people calm down, see, see clearly, think objectively? Or do you find that you have an inflaming, escalating effect on conflict? What do you usually find to be the case? Here's another way of asking it. When you discover, when, you, when a friend of yours comes up to you and describes the outrageous words or actions of another person, let's say a girlfriend comes up to you and says to you, you would not believe what my boyfriend did. You would not believe what my husband did yesterday. What? And she starts telling you, like, it is pretty bad. (laughs) This dude messed up big time, and you have opinions about it. What do you find is your usual response? Do you, in the name of friendship, pile on and go, oh, my gosh, girl, you got to come over to our house today. Get away from that fool. I'm not talking about dangerous stuff. I'm talking about annoying stuff. He came home from playing golf all day and they said, where's my sandwich? And I was like, uh-uh, nah. And you tell your girlfriend that and you hear it and you're like, oh, if my husband, did, he'd need to go to dentist for reparative work. And sometimes the name of loyalty and friendship, we hear people in outrage and we think the thing we're supposed to do is pile on with them. But peacemakers know that nobody is ever helped when we try to escalate their outrage and their anger. It may seem like that's what you want, they want you to do. Get on my side. Hate him along with me. But that's not what they really want. It's what their anger says they want, but what their heart yearns for. The only reason they're even telling you about it is, help me to find a way not to leave this man. As stupid as he is, he's my man. i got to figure out a way forward. Because someone's got to marry this idiot. And I want to. I'm so angry, I don't know how, but I want to. That's what my heart really wants but right now, I can't go there. That's why I'm talking to you in the first place. And you if, you, if you, in the name of friendship and loyalty, pile on and help me kick him, that's actually not helping me, is it? It's not actually helping to be loyal in the way that the world is loyal. To give you what you say you want rather than what you truly need, that's not real friendship at all. That's tribal, animal loyalty. That's mammalian loyalty. It's not what God calls us to. It's beneath us. The Apostle Paul escalates, Paul's, uh, escalates Jesus' teaching, and he says it this way in Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What Paul is saying in echoing the teaching of Jesus is that you have to be committed because it won't come naturally or easily. You have to be committed to living at peace. And granted, you can't control how everyone else responds to your efforts, but as far as it depends on you, let the guiding engine of your heart always be, I want to work for peace. I want to live at peace with the people around me. But here's the trouble. There are times when you just don't feel like it. Can we be honest? Have you had days or weeks or maybe decades, where everyone just sets you off. You're annoyed by it, the whole world. I hate all of you. Is there just is, is there not one sane person besides me on this planet? Could not one of you rise to the place that I've arrived at? Now, it sounds horrible when you say it like that. That's really what you believe. But it sounds bad when you actually say it out loud. But isn't that sometimes you just go through these phases where you're like, I hate the whole world. I'm a human living in a world of apes. And not the kind of the movies that can talk. Just apes. What do you do when God calls you to peacemaking, but all you can feel in your heart is annoyance and irritation and lack of graciousness and unforgiveness and disdain and judgment? In Matthew 18, Jesus told a story, and it was a parable, but it may very well have happened tells a story of a servant, and not just any servant, someone in a king's court, fairly high up, who owed the king a great debt of 10,000 bags of gold, which is another way of saying an impossible amount to repay. He had no hope, so he threw himself on his face in front of the king and said, I beg for your mercy. Please be patient. I will pay it back. Right there, you know, this guy is smoking something. You can't pay that back, not as a servant and not that amount. But this, the king, seeing his pathetic condition, Jesus in his story says he, the king was moved to mercy and compassion. And rather than saying, I'll give you time to pay it off, he bypasses that illusion altogether and says, I'm just going to erase your debt. I appreciate the thought that you could help. That's like when Zoe said, Daddy, we're buying a new house. Here's my dollar and 12 cents. Hey, thanks for that awesome help with our mortgage. That'll pay for a quarter of a roof shingle. Not even that, actually. <laughs> Not even that. And so what, what the king says is, you couldn't possibly, so I'm going to release you. And in great relief, in amazement, the servant gets up off the floor and says, unbelievable. So I'm free. And he walks out. And no sooner does he walk out of the king's palace, he runs to his buddy who owes him some silver coins. He goes, whoa, whoa, whoa don't you owe me like a hundred silver coins? And he's like, should have taken South Street. Doggone it. The guy's caught. He says, yeah, I I know I owe you. Please be patient. He exactly says the same words to this guy. And he goes, "Uh uh-uh, no. You owe me a hundred silver coins. A debt is a debt. Pay now or you're in trouble. And he throws the guy in debtor's prison. And the point of Jesus' story is he says this. You can't possibly be at peace with other people until you're truly at peace with God. It's impossible for a human being to be gracious to another person, to release another person, to forgive another person. In fact, I would say it's even impossible for you to move on from the pain they've caused you if you don't first discover peace with Jesus Christ. It's impossible. It's not just difficult, it's impossible. That was the point of the story. It's easy to say you have received the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the proof is in the ease and naturalness with which you show grace to other people. A person who has not been truly released by God through Jesus Christ can never really release other people because they don't know what that feels like. They don't understand where that could come from. It's not in their experience, so they cannot reproduce it for anyone else. We may find a person's beliefs to be repulsive. You may find their words to be offensive. You may find their choices to be immoral. You may find their personality to be unacceptable. But in the midst of this ugly, foul-smelling person if you cannot be gracious to them, it says more about your relationship with God than about the failings and flaws of that other person. Where do we think we're living? We live in a pigsty as a fellow pig. This world is filled with repulsive, offensive, immoral, unacceptable people. And quite often, that person is the one looking back at you in the mirror. I promise you, whatever you believe is right, someone else will think you are as foul as the devil. This past election cycle proved that. Nobody thinks they're wrong. Everyone thinks me and my tribe are normal. The rest of you can go to hell. We're so ready to say, if you don't jump on my side of this issue, you're dead to me. We have no future together. And when we step, step into that mindset, when we get stuck there, it's actually saying more about our relationship with God than about how reprehensible our fellow human beings are. Do you see that? Because they've always been reprehensible. And yet God has never stopped saying to us, show grace to one another. Make peace with each other. Move forward with one another. The ugliness notwithstanding, there is a way because of Jesus. When you find that you type in all capitals quite often on the Internet, <clears throat> that, that's yelling, right? Help me out, youth group. Is that yelling? We'll, we'll find out. I'll send you some text messages today. We'll find out. You don't want to say anything. to me. I think that's yelling on the Internet. And when you find that's how you type because that's how you feel, and you can't find in your heart any different way to approach that person, That person's not your biggest problem. I think the biggest challenge facing you is that you need to re-examine the way you relate to Jesus Christ. The standing you have with God because he has, in fact, released you free of charge. He has, in fact, been extremely gracious to you at the apex of your ugliness and mine. And if we understand that truly, if we've actually internalized it, we will be able to release others in the same way. I'm reminded of this poster. This is a modern version, but I used to see this all over the place. No peace, no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. If you're listening to this on audio, what I just said made no sense. You've got to see the slide. The first one is no N-O. The second one is no K-N-O-W. I really believe this trite little saying is actually very profound. That we cannot argue for peace among us apart from Jesus. There will always be Democrats and Republicans. There will always be liberals and conservatives. There will always be gay and straight. There will always be racist and non-racist. This is the reality of the human condition. I don't like it. I hate it. But that's us. Isn't that the name of a popular TV show? This is us. Like it or not, that's the truth. This is who we are. And yet, and yet, if you truly know what Jesus has done for you, you can actually work for real peace even in this messed up world. It's possible. But apart from him, eventually you will go postal you won't be able to take it anymore. That's what this world does to people who don't know Jesus. Your wit gets shorter. <clears throat> I'll end with this. The promise given to those who are peacemakers is that they will be called the sons of God. And ladies, I apologize. That's a very gender-specific term. But the focus is not on the gender. There's two ways to refer to someone's offspring in Greek. There is the generic term technon, which is translated offspring, just child of either gender. It's a way of saying, yeah, I somehow produced you. But when you say son or daughter, that's a more intimate word that says, you look like me, you come from me, you reflect me, you represent me. It's the way parents do when your child acts like an idiot. You go, whose kid is that? Or even worse, you go, that's your kid. But when your kid does something great, you're like, that's my boy. I don't know how many times I've said it at uh, Elijah's basketball games. I taught him everything he knows. It's a complete lie, but I believe it in my heart. Because when your child does something that reflects the best part of you, you rejoice. You delight in it. And it's so embarrassing when they reveal and reflect the lowest parts of you. Did you ever see that video of that little boy? Linda, listen. <laughs> Linda, listen. And it's like, who taught a three-year-old boy to talk like that? I think that's daddy talking. Do you ever see that little girl on the Steve Harvey show? You you say you love me. You don't love, you only love your own self. And like, that's three-year-old kids don't talk like that. They were taught. So when you see them act that way, it's like, oh, yeah, you're my kid. But what he says here is, when you act and work for peace, the heart of God gets fired up. And he says of you, that's my kid. What a joy to see my child do in that situation exactly what I would have done. Good for you. Because if you keep doing it, you will make this world look a little bit more the way I'm trying to get it to look. That's the heart of God for you. We don't make peace so that he will call us his children. We make peace because we are his children. We will know with confidence we belong to him and come from him, If we find that over the course of time, we work for peace rather than promote conflict. And if you can't find yourself doing that, don't try to be more self-controlled. Go to Jesus directly and say, why can't I find peace with others? Is it because I have no peace with you? That's my first challenge and the most important thing I can do. I want to invite you, because we have about a few minutes left here, <clears throat> instead of me talking further, I want to invite you to respond to what the Lord is saying to you. And I want to encourage you to pray and listen along two lines. One is this. Do you find that you throw gas or water onto the fires of conflict around you? What do you find is your natural way of interacting. And if you find that you usually escalate conflict rather than soothe it, invite the Lord to speak into that. And if you find lately that you're in the height of a season where you just hate everyone, you're just discouraged, annoyed, disillusioned, you can't find any good thing to feel about your fellow human being, I encourage you to listen to the Lord's voice and ask, God, do I first have peace with you? Because I can't find peace with anyone else. Do I actually have peace with you? Do I fully understand what you did for me at the cross of Jesus Christ? Listen and invite him to speak to your heart. And we'll just do that. I want to invite the praise team to slowly make their way back up. If we could just have some keyboard going. And uh, I want to invite you to a time of reflection. Just a couple minutes. But let's engage in this moment with the Lord and invite him to speak to us. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church.